engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Brothers and sisters, welcome. Pro-Life Leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. You are joining us for the next of our seminars in the Good Shepherd Project. This is an outreach that we give each month for training the clergy. Now that means that clergy do join us and they watch these programs and we're grateful for that. And by clergy, we're talking about Catholic priests and deacons, we're talking about ministers and pastors of other denominations as well across the body of Christ. But we're also talking about the people who sit in the congregation because they want to help their pastors too. They want to encourage their pastors as well. And many of the thoughts, recommendations, and insights that we share on these seminars are just as valuable to them. So welcome one and all. And uh, the goodshepherdproject.com is the website that, that uh, governs this particular project. And you'll find there links to the past seminars that we've done and information about the future ones, as well as an overall reflection about the project itself, which really goes to the core of the mission of Priests for Life, which was founded originally to help priests deal with the issue of abortion. And when we say deal with it, we're talking about preaching, teaching, counseling, and mobilizing, getting their people active to restore protection to the weakest, smallest human beings, those in the womb. And of course, in the midst of all that, and especially when we say counseling, it means bringing healing to those who are wounded by abortion. So the Good Shepherd guides the flock and preserves them from falling into error and sin, and also heals the wounded. Brothers and sisters, welcome. Tonight, our topic is, takes its inspiration from the second letter of uh, Paul to the Corinthians, which I'm, I'm going to read a passage about taking every thought into captivity to Christ, thinking positively and helping our people to think positively about the pro-life movement, about the pro-life battle. This in and of itself is a key aspect of the battle. And I just want to accent that point tonight and give you a few insights that can help you encourage others to think positively about this great cause we're involved in. Let's put ourselves in the presence of the Lord and let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, you have sent Jesus Christ into the world to be our Savior. He is your eternal Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the past, you spoke to our fathers in fragmentary and varied ways through the prophets. Now you speak to us through your Son your perfect image, your total reflection, your perfect word. Lord, Christmas brings us God in human language, the Almighty and Infinite One in human form, so that we can relate, so that we can approach, so that we can understand. 
Give us truth, Lord God. Nourish our minds with truth because we hunger and thirst for truth as much as we do for food and water. Come to us with your truth, who is the person of Jesus Christ. You, Lord God, are truth. We thank you for the formation you give us as our minds immerse themselves in your truth. We thank you, Lord, for the positive thinking that you inspire in us as we see not just the evils that are in the world, like abortion, the strength of the, of the enemy who promotes abortion, but as we see the full truth that you are victorious over every evil and that as you promised, the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. The gates of death will not stand in the presence of the people of life. The gates of falsehood will melt in the presence of truth. The gates of sin will flee in the presence of grace. May we think clearly on these things. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. I've been dealing with abortion for 30, well, full-time for 30 years in the movement itself for almost 50. And especially when people think about the fact that I've been dealing with this issue morning to night, 24-7, 365 days a year, for 30 years, they say to me, what, doesn't that get you depressed? And I say, well, it would and it might if it weren't for the fact that I'm proclaiming the victory of life. That's what we're all proclaiming as ministers of the Word of God. We're proclaiming the victory of life. Remember St. John Paul II in Denver at the World Youth Day in 1994? I can still see him there. I wasn't there in person. I can see on the, on the videos him standing there at the Mass of the Assumption of Mary, victory of life, right? Saying to that crowd of young people and saying to the world, the outcome of the battle of life has already been decided. It's been decided in the death and resurrection of Christ. One of the key characteristics of pro-life people needs to be confidence just as it is one of the key characteristics of Christians. We have Christian hope. It's a theological virtue. We take possession now of that salvation that we have in Christ and that will be fully manifested and unfolded later, but we have it now in hope. We take hold of it. Similarly, with the battle over abortion, just as with the battle over sin itself and over hell, I mean, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light. And so we have a battle that has already been won, but that is still unfolding. It's the, it's the theology of the already but not yet. Christ is risen, death has been conquered. Jesus Christ, Paul says to Timothy, has abolished death. Paul also says he has already raised us up in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Death has been abolished, but we still must die. We're already seated in the heavenly places, but we know full well we're still journeying here on earth. John chapter 6, he who eats... My flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
present tense. And I will raise him up on the last day, future tense. So which is it? It's both at the same time. We have life now. We have a victory now. And yet we also have a battle now, and we, it's real, it has real consequences, and it is still unfolding, but it is unfolding in a direction that's already determined. I say it this way when I give pro-life seminars. We're not just working for victory. We are working from victory. Victory and victory over death is our starting point. Christ is risen. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be the church. We wouldn't be able to call ourselves Christians if there were not already a victory that has been won over death, over sin, over falsehood, over the kingdom of Satan. John Paul II tells us in Evangelium Vitae we are to proclaim, celebrate, and serve the gospel of life. We are to proclaim, celebrate, and serve the victory of life. So the Christian doesn't stand before the forces of the world, the forces of darkness, the power of death, the power of abortion, the power of Planned Parenthood, and all its political friends and its media friends, and say, oh, we scratch our heads and say, are we ever going to be able to overcome this? Can we possibly overcome this? They always have more money than we do, etc., etc. They're better at lying than we are, by the way. We don't stand before all this and wonder if we're going to be able to overcome it. We stand before this and we say, you have already been overcome. Your power has been defeated away with you. You can no longer menace the human family. We stand in front of these enemies with our feet firmly planted on the foundation of Jesus Christ and His victory. And we say to the forces of death, be gone. You have already been defeated. Brothers and sisters, this is how we are to think, and this is how we are to help others to think. And if we're ministering to the people of God, how we are to inspire them to think about any kind of battle between good and evil. This is how we have to inspire them to think about their own battles in their personal lives with temptation and sin every day. This is how we are to think about transforming the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, transforming public policy changing a culture of death into a culture of life. It's because of a victory that's already been won. Now, we look practically at the history that the movement has already undergone. You know, for I started full-time in the pro-life movement in 1993 when I was given permission to lead Priests for Life. I had already been involved in the movement almost 20 years. And the, from the beginning, I was, and it's, it's in my talks, you can hear it online, all my uh, teachings and presentations, uh, uh, banquet talks and pro-life conferences and sermons. I was saying, we will see the victory over Roe v. Wade. I said it clearly. I said it definitively. I said it repeatedly. We will see the end of Roe versus Wade. Why? Because all you had to do was examine it to see how flimsy it was, how, what a shaky foundation it was built on. It was built on lies. Abortion itself is a lie, of course. You think that the unborn baby isn't a baby? <laughs> what world are you living in? You might as well say the earth is flat. You think this is not a baby? I mean, talk about people who say, follow the science. Uh, 
But not just that, that the whole thing is built on lies. But that ever since Roe v. Wade was decided, and it was decided on such such a flimsy legal record, and if you want to go into the whole history of this from a constitutional point of view, look at our website, supremecourtvictory.com, because that analyzes Roe v. Wade in great depth, and it analyzes the, the way that Roe v. Wade ended up getting overturned by the courts by the Dobbs decision in 2022, supremecourtvictory.com. I lay out there in detail what a flimsy constitutional basis Roe had and how ever since it was issued, it was being already dismantled. So it wasn't some kind of mighty fortress. It was more like a dilapidated building that was swaying and ready to collapse. And it did collapse under its own weight. It has, there's no constitutional basis for declaring a right to abortion or for precluding the people and their elected representatives from protecting the unborn. So I was not surprised that Roe v. Wade was reversed. I was surprised it took so long for that to happen. And brothers and sisters, this tells us something. You know, Jesus is, let me go to the passage in, in, in Matthew 22. It's, it's very clear. Even his enemies have to admit this about him. Matthew 22, verse 15, when the Pharisees come and try to trap him in his speech, their disciples say to him, Teacher, we know that, listen to this, you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. When we form the way we think about something, and something as big and important as the pro-life effort. We can't be swayed by appearances, swayed by the opinions of others. Even if we are far outnumbered in the way we think about something, the fact that we may be outnumbered by those who think differently counts for zero in how we should think. This was a characteristic of Jesus. It should count for zero in how we should think. And I say that because there's prevailing opinion, which nowadays, especially with instantaneous communication through the media and through social media, uh, a, a, uh, a peer pressure, an intellectual peer pressure can develop almost immediately. And people say, oh, well, this is the way I'm supposed to be thinking about these things. And so if the common way of thinking is, uh, oh, well, you know, it's very hard to change someone's mind on abortion, or it's very hard to overcome abortion or to root out abortion from our society. Oh, hold on, not so fast. It's a whole pack of lies. All you have to do to, is to look, most people, all you have to do is to look at an abortion. And most people will immediately reject it. That's why I always use the example, I say, if you stand on a street corner, as I have done, and you hold a sign showing an aborted baby, don't say anything, no words, no words on the sign, you're not handing out any flyers, you're not speaking, you're just standing there holding the sign, showing a, a baby who's been aborted. What are most people going to think? Are they are going to think you're for it or against it? Remember, you're not saying anything and they don't know you. People are going to conclude you're against it. But why? Why? Well, because the human conscience knows that a baby whose arms and legs have been ripped off, whose head has been crushed, that's um, wrong. 
our human nature tells us it's wrong. So if you were in favor of abortion, why would you be showing how wrong it is? That's why they conclude that you're standing there protesting abortion rather than advertising what you can get at the abortion clinic down the street. Jesus was not swayed by what other people were thinking. And he asks us not to be swayed by what other people are thinking either. He asks us to learn from one another. But judgment is not a matter of what judgment did somebody else come to. Judgment is how do I perceive the truth? Do I seek the truth with an open mind? And do I keep myself from being swayed by passions? Now, when it comes to how we're doing in the pro-life cause. I always think of an old adage of warfare. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. We have to think about this very carefully and help others think about it as well. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. If you're in warfare, it's not just about guns and tanks, it's about psychological warfare. It's a key element of any warfare. You want your enemy to think that he's losing. Isn't that what you want? You want to discourage, if you can discourage your enemy mentally, that might, uh, that might uh, take away the necessity of pushing back by physical force. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. We have to guard our thinking about where we're at in this pro-life battle. We had a series of bad outcomes for ballot initiatives since the time of the Dobbs decision. Seven states in particular where either a pro-life amendment didn't pass, or it wasn't always an amendment, it may have been a legislative proposal, or a pro-abortion one did, the most recent and worst of these examples being Ohio, where they actually passed an amendment to put abortion into their constitution. Ohio has been a, a pro-life state. They passed legislation protecting the unborn even from the time a heartbeat can be detected, which is six weeks into the pregnancy, four weeks into the development of the baby, the heart actually starts beating at about three weeks. So the will of the people of Ohio is not for unrestricted abortion, and yet the other side, because like I said before, they're better at lying than we are, and they have more money to propagate their lies, we're able to pull this off. So many people looking back at the time since uh, the uh, Dobbs case come to the conclusion, and I assure you the people on the other side of this issue are trying to make people come to this conclusion, that, oh, abortion is a, is a, is a losing cause, it's a losing issue. Look, you had seven states, you know, they're seven for zero, you know, in, 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 in ballot initiatives. Seven states? There are twice as many that since the Dobbs decision now protect unborn children from conception. Twice as many. Who's, who's, who's doing better? Who's doing better? Brothers and sisters, not only do we have the 14 states that are protecting babies from conception, we've got a whole list of other states, including the one I'm broadcasting to you from now, Florida, where various pieces of legislation have been passed since the Dobbs case advancing the protection of the unborn. 
Advancing their protection, not their destruction. Advancing pro-life, not pro-choice. Advancing the rights of the unborn, not the so-called right to abortion. Who's winning? Courts. What do courts do now when states pass pro-life laws? Let me give you one simple example. Indiana. One of those 14 states that now protects babies from conception. What do the pro-abortion people do? They do what they've done for 50 years. They challenge the law in court. Strike down the law! Strike down the law! We have a right to abortion! Strike down the law! And for the last 50 years, the courts basically have been striking down those laws. In fact, it's become a knee-jerk reaction. If a law is passed that protects babies in the womb prior to viability, knee-jerk reaction of the courts is to strike it down, or has been to strike it down. Why? Because Roe v. Wade told them they had to. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was also precedent, told them they have to. When the Supreme Court passes these, these judgments and renders these decisions, the lower courts are bound by precedent to follow those decisions when the case before them deals with the same uh, subject. So even judges who were against Roe v. Wade, and no decision was more widely criticized, even by judges in federal cases lower than the Supreme Court that dealt with abortion than Roe v. Wade. No, no decision was more criticized than that. But, but criticize it as they might, the judges still had to apply the holding of Roe v. Wade that there was a constitutional right to abortion and that laws could not stand if they prohibited it before viability. Until now. Until now. Roe and Casey are no longer precedent. They've been decimated. They've been obliterated off of the judicial landscape. They are no longer precedent. The judges in the courts around America are no longer required to strike down pro-life laws because Roe and Casey are gone. So now we have a situation where the precedent is if the people and their elected representatives want to protect the unborn, there's no constitutional reason to stop them. What happened in Indiana? The pro-abortion people, out of knee-jerk reaction for 50 years, challenged the law in court. The state Supreme Court in Indiana upheld the law. Didn't strike it down. Upheld it. Because judges are now recognizing that they've got to get out of their knee-jerk reaction, the habit that's been formed for five decades, of striking down these pro-life laws. Courts in Georgia, in South Carolina, and elsewhere have similarly ruled in favor of pro-life laws in this recent year. Who's winning? Think clearly Help our people to think positively about the pro-life movement. The battle is in the mind of the enemy. The other side is trying hard with the cooperation of the media. It's, they're saying it as if it's a, just a commonly accepted understanding, unquestioned dogma, conclusion that everybody's come to. That, oh yeah, oh, abortion's a losing issue in the elections, losing issue for politicians. The governors that signed these pro-life bills, the legislatures, that enacted them, how did they do in the, in the recent elections? They did pretty well, actually. People didn't throw them out of office because they passed pro-life bills. So 
Be aware of the psychological warfare in this battle. Doesn't mean that we sugarcoat things or wear rose-colored glasses and see everything as better than it actually is. We face the problems. We know what the difficulties are. But we look at the whole picture and be careful of that innate tendency towards despondency. Oh, well, look, you know, train people to think twice when they see the headline or hear the report or hear people just spouting a preconceived notion unchallenged that, oh, abortion is a losing issue. It isn't. It's a winning issue. All of this can be summarized in a couple of scriptures that I, I started with uh, referring to one of them. I want to go back and uh, read it more deeply here and then, and then give you a couple of others. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says this. I beg of you, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Not just our actions have to obey Christ. Not only do our deeds have to be in union with the will of Christ. Our thoughts have to be in union with Christ. To see He is truth. The battle's in the mind of the enemy. Paul is talking about warfare here. And he says, bring every thought captive to Christ. Romans chapter 12. A key summary of what the spiritual life is about. The beginning of the chapter says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are to offer our bodies as spiritual sacrifices, but then be transformed in our minds as well. And to sum this up really most perfectly, the words of Jesus himself, let's not miss this point when he talks to us about what love means and about what the first and greatest commandment is. He's asked that question in Matthew 22. And this is what we read in verse 34, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked them a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. How often do we think about that? when we talk about love. I mean, what does love mean? Does it just mean we're feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, embracing people to console them? What, what is, what, what? Love includes the mind 
how we think, loving the Lord with all our mind, acknowledging Him, believing in Him, accepting His teaching, thinking of everything in reference to Him, and thinking well of others. When we think well of others, we're going to speak well of others. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, urges us to focus our thoughts on everything that is good and true and pure and holy. Because if we focus our thoughts on those things, then our actions are going to be more inclined to pursue and defend, promote and serve what is good and true and beautiful, righteous and holy and pure. Think on these things, Paul says to the Philippians. And then, of course, he gives them a command. Dismiss all anxiety from your minds. Notice it's a command. It doesn't say, hey, how are you feeling today? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Oh, I hope you don't feel that way. No, he's talking about the will. He's talking about a decision to dismiss anxiety from our minds. It's a decision. We take control over our thinking. We love the Lord with all our mind. We bring every thought into captivity to Christ. We are transformed in our minds. Help people to think positively. I'm not saying unrealistically. I'm saying positively about this battle that we have against abortion and against pro-life. Because, brothers and sisters, we are winning. We have been winning for a long time. And ultimately, as was said in the civil rights movement, no lie can live forever. Truth pressed to the earth will rise again. You can, you can suppress it for a while. But if you close the door, it'll come out the window. You shut the windows, it'll come through the roof. One way or the other, truth will come out. Truth will prevail. And that truth is the Word who became flesh, and He is life. Let's give this confidence to our people, brothers and sisters, because... We're not just working for victory. We are working from victory, and that is why we are the people of life. I hope this helps you uh, give some, get some perspective in terms of um, encouraging people in this battle. And for more details about where we stand with the legislation and the courts, consult our website. You can search throughout the whole site, endabortion.us. We put a lot of information up there on many different aspects of this cause, all the different aspects of this cause, endabortion.us. Be sure to go there frequently. And let's turn to the Lord now in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the victory of life in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the the victories that have been won and that continue to be won and that will be won in the future. And Lord, we ask you to keep us vigilant that as we love you with all our hearts, we might love you with all our minds as well. Do not let any thought become captive to the enemy to deter, confuse, or discourage us, but rather let them be focused only on you and captive only to Christ your Son and lifting us up, always lifting us up. In thinking positively, Lord, may we speak positively as well and may we act positively. We now take all our prayer intentions, Lord. We pray, though those who are in ministry in particular, we pray that they be faithful and effective in their ministry. We pray for the people they serve. We pray for all our families, all our needs, Lord God, health, wisdom, discernment, 
consolation, whatever the needs might be. And we sum them all up by asking you for what the Lord's Prayer asks, as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, thank you so much. Uh, let's also invoke our Heavenly Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And abortion.us. Also, we have a special website, prolife.church. Looking for special things for your church to do? Prolife.church is a key place to go. You have pro-life prayers, preaching resources, activities for mobilizing the congregation, and the kinds of perspectives that we've been privileged to offer you today here in this Good Shepherd Seminar. Please spread the word. Stay connected with the Good Shepherd project.com and we will talk to you soon. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.